There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. Episode two of season two of the Lead with Empower podcast. And I'm very excited because we have a true gentleman and scholar joining us today. <laughs> my, uh, my good friend, James Lightfoot III. James and I met, goodness, probably back in 2000 and four or five, I think you were doing some work in Springfield. I was doing some work in Springfield. We met during uh, the summer program at Springfield college, just a couple times cross paths. And then as fate would have it, we ended up being flight mates and roommates on a, on a trip to (laughs) Oregon by way of Arizona, I think (laughs) Uh, as we both started with the Springfield Renaissance school back in goodness. Oh, seven fall of 07 maybe we were co-crew leaders so kind of like homeroom leaders together at the renaissance school and having crossed paths with with many that are that are awesome and unique skilled complete opposite of me in certain ways yet very similar in certain ways so mr james lightfoot the third He's currently the community director of youth and education programs for the Urban League of Springfield. James, how are you? What is going on? Dan, Dan, thanks for having me today. Um, a lot is going on, you know. Um, <clears throat> you, you know, we, we, there's a lot of things going on in our world. Um, a lot of things have changed, you know, with, uh, you know, COVID-19. Uh, so a lot of work and a lot of a lot of the things I've been into or usually doing around this time of the year have, have shifted, you know, so, um, you know, right now just trying to maintain some level of normalcy uh, in my day-to-day life and, you know, um, you know, just trying to make things happen, you know, so, so thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, you kidding me. Thanks for being on, man. I'm uh, looking forward to this and I think it's going to be a great time. Great listen for everybody. Speaking of change, we're not together in person. We're on the zoom right now and you're you're modeling my, my hairstyle, which (laughs) the first time we met, it wasn't like this. (laughs) No, not at all. So he's going with the cue ball. Look, ladies and gentlemen, and he's pulling it off pretty well. (laughs) Yeah. Started with the locks. (laughs) Which was, you know, and I can start there um, telling you a little bit about myself. Um, Probably back in 2002, actually, no. Yeah, this would probably be about 2002 um, in college. Um, I went to Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan. Um, Had to challenge myself. I was uh, experiencing some personal things and were not, not really making commitments to them. Um, you know, changing my major every semester, you know, just not really, um, not really sticking to things like I, you know, should have been as a maturing, uh, you know, a college student. So, um, I did made my, this little challenge with myself is that if I could commit to growing my hair out, I can commit to other things in life. Um, 
And it started off with this bet to myself. Um, and then throughout that time, I cut my hair several times till I finally, maybe within the next year, um, my hair was growing pretty fast back then. Um, not so much now. <laughs> um, so challenged myself to grow my hair out and that ended up lasting for about eight years um, and had, you know, the locks uh, grew pretty much like halfway down my back, yeah. um, you know, until I, you know, it was time for a new transition, um, some bad experiences here in Massachusetts and, you know, really looking to move myself into a more, um, you know, professional light, you know, and not that my locks are not professional. It was just, I, it was time for a new look and I would achieve that goal of, you know, committing to things. Thus eight, years the rest of, of, eight years is solid. Yeah. <laughs> eight years is pretty solid. You know, it's a pretty, pretty strong commitment. Um, and, you know, and, and that, you know, really helped me to kind of change my focus on things, you know, hair is a little thing that it just grows. So you don't have to really do anything to it. Um, you know, mine is keeping it clean and all that. Um, but I made that small commitment that then, you know, kind of helped me focus on some other matters that, you know, needed attending to, like graduating college, right? Um, <laughs> whole reason I went there, not to play basketball every day or, uh, you know, hang out chasing the ladies and trying to be at every party, um, really there to get an education. So, you know, that small commitment changed some things and, and got me on the right path um, so that, you know, I could be here today uh, having this conversation um, <laughs> and, you know, have all those opportunities that, you know, you and I shared, you know, in the classroom as well um, as, you know, in the community. Yep. Without a doubt. And yeah. you mentioned you did self bets where you, so you lost some money to yourself. Did anybody on the, like anybody that was close to you say, James, if you don't cut your hair for X amount of time, did, did you ever get that external motivator from somebody uh, close to you? No, it was just, you know, I, I would say like some people were like, you know, I wonder how long you're going to let it grow or how long are you going to let it grow? Uh, when are you going to cut it? Like, so those things, Yeah. Um, not so much as a bet, like, I know you're not going to make it, but it, I guess inside of me, I'm like, all right, this person is asking as if there's an expiration date. Yeah on my commitment um and and so i could say that probably pushed me a little further like to keep it keep it growing keep it going um and I, i'll just uh, share what really pushed me um to the edge and this is probably not the most positive experience i've had in massachusetts uh, but i was out hanging with some friends during grad school um and we were at a local pool hall and a gentleman came to me and uh, was one looking to purchase um, some drug paraphernalia from me. Um, and then secondly, offered uh, some drug paraphernalia to me. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't take it on the basis of, you know, my, my race or ethnicity, but it wasn't the first time someone had requested um, drugs from me. And I knew they associated the hair uh, with, you know, some other activity that, yeah. you know, I had nothing to do with. Um, but that was kind of like the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. That was like, all right, like something here needs to change because this uh, instance continues to happen, you know, and it's from people of my same ethnicity, um, 
you know, which was like troubling. I was like, all right, how am I carrying myself that would make someone think, you know, because of the hair, I, you know, have access to or I'm using, you know, uh, certain drugs. So that really was like, you know, the, the thing that I was like, all right, this has to go. Which and is then I met Dan. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the bald head looks like. Right. <laughs> but it, it, and it's, it's scary that, the, your hair at the time to in some people's eyes define James and you and that's yeah. not I mean having known you for many years like it's not it's it, like the furthest thing from the truth you know right and and many people and, and it's a classic the mayor of Springfield um you know I worked with him when he was a executive director of a community center here in town and that's the one memory he has of me James sure. with the yep. locks. Yep. And it, it's almost like a uh, <laughs> is a hurtful memory for me to be like, that's all you can remember me by. Not the great work I've done with the youth, not rebranding, you know, the teen center that lived at the community center. It was like James with the hair. Mm -hmm. And that's his kind of like tagline when he sees me. And if he sees me in an audience of an event, that's what he says. And that's his connecting point, mm -hmm. which I'm like, all right, I, I've, I'm worth more than that. I've done more. So it's, it's sad that, you know, that's, that was my brand at the time. So I've really had to do some work um, <laughs> with that, you know, and it, it's crazy. So, I mean, we laugh and joke often about the bow tie, yep. right? And so that became another signature of, of mine so that people can say, all right, so it's not just James with the locks anymore. It's James that, you know, he wears a bow tie. You know, James, you know, the guy who works with the youth who wears the bow tie. So it's yep. something different than like the hair. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I, yeah, I think it's still crazy that people can't recognize you for who you are. There has to be something, you know, tied to it. Something physical. Yeah, it's right. And you, ladies and gentlemen who are tuning in, you're going to find out over the next chunk of time that there's much more to James Lightfoot than a hairstyle or a bow tie style. Indeed. However, I will say I had the honor of being in the wedding party as one of <laughs> James's men there. And uh, on his wedding day, I was the, the one guy in the crew who did not know how to tie a bow tie. So while I was trying to do everything to support James on his big day, I did have to ask for some support and he tied my bow tie before the ceremony and I'm forever indebted. Yes. <laughs> I have it to this day. It's beautiful. I have looked at it many times and maybe that's my commitment. Maybe I learn how to tie one for myself. You've inspired you me in already. That, we will get you in that bow tie. <laughs> I want to join the club. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, James, thanks again, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I just, as we were getting ready for the episode, I thought back mm -hmm. to the great times we had when we were, you know, working together at the Renaissance School and um, how, you know, felt like two different guys from two different parts of the country with two different backgrounds came together and did some awesome stuff. And I'm going to be excited to hear about it and hear about your backstory and, and uh hopefully open some people's eyes to what you're doing up in Springfield right now and in mentoring and inspiring some young men there and young, uh, young ladies up there. And, um, but we're going to start, we're going to ask you to, to take a trip back there. So you brought it up already. Grand Valley state university, you 
left there with a bachelor's in science in public administration. Give us a little of the backstory. Like how'd you end up at Grand Valley State? What made you after a couple switches? I'll be I'll, <laughs> a couple. I'll drop the number right. down. You know, how'd you end up there? How'd you end up in that major? And, and kind of at that time, what were you looking to do after your four years at Grand Valley State were up? Yeah, and and if I if I can, I'll I'll share the backstory. So I, um, upon looking to go to college, wanted to study veterinary medicine, um, and I, I I happened upon an opportunity at the University of Missouri Columbia um, to do an internship my junior year of high school. Got there uh, during orientation, a cow died in front of my eyes. This was the first week of the experience. And, you know, if, if, if nothing else makes you sure that a career field is not for you, uh, watching something die in front of you uh, will quickly change your mind. And so um, I, I seen that and never in my mind uh, thinking about veterinary medicine did I think about animals dying, right? Yeah. So I always thought about healing them, you know, neutering, you know, dogs, spaying cats, things of that nature. Um, but seeing that cow die uh, really changed my mind. And so uh, going back to my 12th grade year in high school, I had to, you know, think of a new plan. Um, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I started uh, thinking of like, what could I do with animals that didn't require me to have to cut them open or watch them die? Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh, animal trainer. So doing like some animal psychology, something around that nature, right? Um that would then still keep me in the field around animals and in science. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, 12th grade year, mid-semester, my guidance counselor leaves the school without telling us anything. So my transcripts, uh, the applications that I needed her to sign off on were left in her office. I had to scramble because everything I needed was in her hands. Yeah. Um, and I knew I had like an unofficial transcript in my backpack that I had been carrying around. And Grand Valley State came to my school um, to do an on-site admission. You know, I, I'm not sure if they still do those, but you know, the admissions uh, director shows up to the school, you go to the office, you show them your transcript, and he's like, well, everything checks out, you're in. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? Um, what are you gonna study? I said, I, I don't know, psychology, something. And they had me signed up for psychology. Now, <laughs> I had applied to or was planning to apply to University of Missouri, Columbia. Yeah. Um, you know, to I, I still had some interest in the college, even though I wasn't going to study uh, veterinary medicine. I uh, still wanted to go there. It was one of the colleges I had toured. I had never seen Grand Valley State. I couldn't even tell you on the day I was accepted where Allendale, Michigan was. <laughs> um, but it was like, I got accepted to a college, so my parents will be happy here, right? Check the box. Um, and upon some further research, I found that Grand Valley was a really good fit for me. Small school, uh, two hours and 45 minutes away from my home in Detroit. Yeah. Um, offered a very uh, interesting experience of a rural and urban town. Um, Allendale is kind of nestled between Grand Rapids, Michigan, and on the other side, um, I can't even remember the name, but it's really close to Lake Michigan. Okay. So if you imagine, 
you know, I'll do my famous, you know, if you're looking at the, the, the Michigan map on the opposite of the thumb side, um, it's closer to where I was in school. Okay. Um, and so it was, it was a great place um, for me to be. And, um, you know, once I finally took a tour, um, not many weeks before uh, classes starting, <laughs> I was like, all right, this will work. Um, it's, it's only four years of my life. Um, so upon being there, you know, I, I jumped majors a lot um, because I, I would take a class. And of course, in the introductory class, they don't really give you the meat yeah. of the subject matter. You're getting a little taste. Um, and I realized getting those tastes were not um, going to fulfill me. Right. So I'm sounding like I'm talking about food, but uh, it really wasn't <laughs> going to fulfill what I was looking to achieve at this point. Um, the biomedical science was the first um, program after psychology that I realized, all right, this is not going to work. Um, still felt like they're trying to take me down the line to be a, a veterinary mm -hmm. veterinarian. Um, so hopped around a couple times, business, marketing, um, computer science, um, all those didn't work. I had taken a, I had racked up a bunch of credits. Um, <laughs> the all college like, requirements, like right, I, those. <laughs> I, I, I could have, you know, gone any direction and um, I did one of those kind of interest surveys of like career interest yep. surveys and public administration kept popping up um, and, and I couldn't get why. So over one of the summers, I'd gone back home to Detroit, worked at the YMCA. Um, I had been working at the Y since I was about 14 years old um, and was always showed back up there and didn't understand like what was happening in that moment. You know, it, later on in life, I was like, ah, oh, should have known. Um, but went back home, had a conversation with a mentor. And he's like, you know, James, have you considered public administration? I was like, what's that? He's like, well, it's essentially what I do as a um, manager of a nonprofit or working for a municipality, city, community organization, be able to, you know, do this work, you know, work with young people, work in education, you know, there are many areas. Yeah. I was like, hmm, Okay, uh, so got back to school, uh, shared this with my advisor at the time. And she's like, we have a program. And, you know, I'll say lo and behold, right? So she started checking off the boxes of the classes I've completed. I was one semester away from graduation. I was like, oh, this is great. So I was like, well, hmm, I don't want to like be off from my class, you know, so how can I like, you know, make up you know, a year. And so I got an opportunity to study abroad in uh, Sydney, Australia okay. for a semester, which is totally awesome. <laughs> um, and so I got to do that. And then I came back and, you know, finished my remaining credits uh, and was able to graduate with my class. So um, it, it, I'll say it all fell in my lap uh, while growing my hair out. Um, <laughs> You know, and it, and it became a really good fit because all the time working at the YMCA, um, you know, being a mentor to high school students, uh, some of the work I started to do while I was in college, uh, I, I was already building a foundation since the age 14. Yeah. And I, and I had no knowledge that this was happening. It was kind of just, <laughs> you know, adding up uh, as I was maturing. And, you know, it's like, you know, I want to be a, a manager in a nonprofit. And, you know, I'll say the rest is history, but I'm pretty sure I'll be able to share kind of where I am now and how, 
you know, all these pieces have added up to my current career. Yeah, without a doubt. And yeah. what was the trip to Australia? What was the biggest, was there an aha moment for you when you were over there? Was there something that caught your eye, caught your heart, caught your mind where when you came back, you just couldn't, couldn't lose it. Couldn't leave that moment back, uh, back in Australia. You know, I, I still go back to this and it's a, it's a weird moment. Um, but the, the, the perspective that people from that are not from America have for America yeah, and, 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 and how we, are displayed to them um that that sticks to me because it's like you know i think you know people say the american way right and and that has many meanings for different people yes but but this was during the time uh so this is around 2002 2003 um so you know unfortunately 9 11 had happened and and you know people were still grieving and going through that and the president we had at the time was, you know, he, he people looked at him a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being a representative of the country um, in Australia, um, it, it, I got a lot of questions as if I was the, you know, the, the spokesman. The ambassador. For the, people, <laughs> the ambassador. And it was like, yeah, no, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what's happening. I, I can't answer for that. Um you know, and so that really stuck with me that, you know, things, how we see things here in America are not viewed the same in other places. Uh, and we have a, we have a true luxury here um, that I don't think other countries have. And, and, and I don't think, unless you've been out of the country, you don't really realize that freedom or, or the, you know, how people look at you, you know, it's almost like being a coach on a team, mm-hmm. right? And so like, as the coach, I hate to use this word superior, but you have this status. Yep. Um, it's like the higher, that, hierarchy. Right. In sport. There's yeah. a hierarchy. Yep. Like people are looking up to you. You have everyone's ear. All eyes are on you. They're expecting greatness or some motivation. And then when you let them down, you know, <laughs> the questions come, right? How did you allow your coach to do this? How, what are you all going to do about your coach? And that's how I felt being in that space um, is that I was trying to make uh, excuses and or not answer at all for kind of some, you know, doings of the country. Um, One other thing that happened, um, you know, much like America, um, there's a native people. um, So the Aborigines there. And so um, the the listeners can't see how I look, um, but um, I have a darker pigment, if you will. And, (laughs) they constantly asked me what tribe I was from. And being in America, I get asked that because of my last name, like, right. And so it was very weird to be in another country, having someone ask me that same question. And so the Aboriginal, Aboriginal people have a, a darker pigment to their skin and, you know, their eyes are a different color than mine, you know, very, like greens and blues, some very interesting colors, I'll say, or unique. Um, But I'd get asked that almost like every day I was there. And it blew my mind because I was like, man, this is no different from being at home, you know, but people hear my last name, Lightfoot, and they're like, oh, what tribe? And I I still couldn't answer 
even in another country, what tribe I was from. So the Tigers, Detroit, Detroit, and then I finally got to you know American. I'm from America, yep. and then they were like, oh okay, um, and they kind of moved on. But you know, everyone doesn't see you know your country as great as you see it. Yeah, you yep. know, and that's that's an eye opener because you think um, you know your way of doing things is the best way. Until someone comes in and is like, oh, it's okay, but it, yep. there's a different way to do this. Um, and so it really opened my eyes to, you know, how, I'm, how I move um, throughout my day-to-day. So. And we're not going to go down the path of this because it would be full of assumptions, but right. could you imagine going to Australia today and the questions well, you would get? Wow, I, I could not. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'd be pretty, pretty similar yeah. to back then, probably more uh, direct. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, granted, uh, Australia has had their challenges uh, with their leadership over time. You know, I, I think it would be a, a very similar uh, conversation that was happening, <laughs> you know, 17 years ago. Yeah. So. I, I would imagine more intense because the technology now, like the connectiveness of, if something happens somewhere, everybody knows about it Man. versus back in 2002, 2003, right. you were like, dial it up AOL to try to. <laughs> right. you, you're still waiting for, you know, uh, uh, information to happen. I think back then land, uh, you know, the um, T1 lines were new yep. Yep. Um, back then. And so still getting information was, you know, it wasn't as fast as it is now. Yeah, it's immediate now. And so it's, yeah, I think it it would be a very interesting time to go back. And you could could get a taste of James's short period of time in computer (laughs) science. He's dropping (laughs) T1 landlines and all that stuff. So it wasn't a waste of a couple months in that major. It was was so short. (laughs) So. Very short, yeah. From Grand Valley State, you find your way up at Springfield College. Yes. Um, which is, uh, you know, a, a favorite place of mine <laughs> and uh, a master's in science and organizational management and leadership. So again, I guess just tell us a little bit about that journey and why Springfield, why that major? So I, I blame the YMCA and I'll say <laughs> I blame. So I was a program director for the Y um, overseeing teen programs in Detroit and we were hosting a college fair um, for some students and Springfield College just happened to be one of the reps uh, that we requested to come in. So they flew, they had sent a rep to Detroit for our college fair. Um, and during one of the workshops, they were, you know, going over their admissions information. And uh, the gentleman was talking about, you know, different programs. And then they had a program for YMCA professionals. And so, of course, my ears went up. Because yep. I was like, oh, okay, you know there's a college program for YMCA professionals. So let me, you know, listen a little more. And he started to talk. Yeah, we have an undergraduate uh, program for YMCA studies. Um, It then positions um, our students to become uh, directors and or executive directors at, you know, YMCAs anywhere in the world. I was like, wait, what? Say that again. <laughs> so I, I, I could have like, you know, taken care of this already. All right. So I have a degree. Um, so what does this mean for me? Graduate school. 
And so I asked the question, I was like, so do you offer a graduate program? He said, well, not for the YMCA studies, but we do have um, an, um, a, a graduate program um, that would, you know, it's a little faster than your typical two or three year uh, program. Um, it's 18 months, yeah. uh, kind of provides you the same uh, studies and skill sets you need to go on to be an executive leader. So I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And, you know, I, I felt very special because they flew me out to Springfield uh, to take a tour of the college, gave me a, a little tour of the city. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I had already committed myself to being here. Not even like, it was a weekend I seen the school. So it wasn't even really like vibrant, you yeah. know, people moving around. It was maybe one or two people walking around campus. So I didn't really get to have a conversation. Say, how do you like it? You know, what are the good experiences here? They see, they showed me the campus like outdoors. I went inside of the building where the program was um, um, living. Yep. And then I, um, I was like, all right, sign me up. And so like, you know, I, I commit, I commit quick. No, uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, this is a, a better bet for me. And, you know, based on the experiences I was having in Detroit, uh, I felt it was time for me to move on, um, spread my wings a little. And once I, you know, got admitted into the college, I was here. I moved uh, to the city and, you know, uh, here I am several, several, several years later. Uh, so I think you it's came about, up here when? You came out here in... So I, I came to Massachusetts in 2005. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the... the program, uh, I'll share a little bit, offered everything I was looking for. So it's going to give me the background and nonprofit management, uh, give me some of those capacities I needed to be a good leader um, over a nonprofit, uh, working in, you know, urban or, uh, you know, suburban communities, are really giving me kind of the foundation to, um, to step out of that like program director coordinator position mm -hmm. and move on up. Um, and, you know, I, I was, I, I jumped all in and, and I would say I was successful um, in my journey. You know, I, I didn't end with a 4.0 like I wanted, but it was, uh, <laughs> it, it, it qualified me to, to get my master's degree and um, afforded me several opportunities uh, since then you know, um, working at a, a local small community center while I was in grad school and then kind of moving around, became an educator um, in the school system, uh, utilizing the um, thesis I wrote for, um, for my grad program. Um, I just turned it into a curriculum. Yep. Um, and, it, you know, for, for the years that I was able to utilize it, it worked out very well. Um, so yeah, in Springfield College, it became a, a good fit, much like Grand Valley, you know, one of those places that, you know, it's small, um, it provided enough of a community for me to really excel and, you know, feel comfortable, um, you know, do doing what I needed to do. Yep. And, it, and it also presented some good relationships for me, you know. I would, yeah, know, I would agree. <laughs> I, I, I met Dan the man. No. <laughs> oh, man. That was, yeah, that was, I, I remember you coming by because the summer program we ran yeah. had teens from the youth center that you were working right. at. And yep. we, 
cross paths, I think, at one of their presentation days. I think might yeah. have been the first time we ever met. So, yeah. and one of my mentees was a, a part of the program, Natasha. Um, yeah, Natasha, and then I believe Henry. Oh, Henry, uh, went yep. through. Yeah, and you know, so it was like those connections. Um, you know, early on, then we end up teaching those students later on. Crazy. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, again, I, you know, those foundations get planted early, and then. You know, the opportunity become endless. So uh, Ted France, Dr. France from Springfield was our yeah. first uh, guest of season two. And, and, and I think Henry may have been involved in this and we'll have to confirm with him, but there was one <laughs> session for this summer event where it's like 11 o'clock at night and campus police shows up in the dorm that we're staying in and asks the question, do you, do you have all your kids? And Ted, as Teddy tells it, if they ask you that, they know you don't. Right. So, don't. <laughs> so Ted's response is like, yeah. what are the names and phone numbers? Right. What are the names of the first and last names of the children that we don't have officers? They yeah. were good. And long story short, I, I think, and I forget who it was, but I, I will, we'll pin it on Henry until we figure yeah. it out. <laughs> but there was a group of like three or four guys who, out of a, a low second floor in this dorm that we were staying in, mm -hmm. decided to tie their bed sheets together and attempt to repel out of the uh, the dormitory. Out, out of the dorm. Goodness. So it's never a dull moment up there. Right. Never. <laughs> um, so that's the journey, you know, through the, the, the degrees. Right now you're working with the Urban League of Springfield mm -hmm. as a community director, youth and education program, uh, coordinator what, what and it's hard because we're in the middle of this unique situation prior mm -hmm. to COVID-19 like what was a normal day what were what are some of your regular responsibilities um, as the director of youth and education programs there yeah and so with the Urban League I uh, was responsible for in-school and out-of-school programming uh, mostly college and career prep uh, work so working with uh, high school students primarily um, and I had a couple of groups of middle school students uh, getting them focused on what their future looked like um, and so I know many it, my program had kind of two uh, phases I'll say or two stages where I was talking about uh, college prep getting them ready to think about their uh, future after you know high school secondary mm -hmm. school um, and then having this career conversation and not uh, often putting the two together, right? So I wasn't forcing them, the students down the path to go to college first and then start your career. Yep. Uh, I was having the conversation separately. So you need these skill sets so that even if you don't go to college, you have the tools you need to be successful. You know how to pick up a book. Yep. You know how to read. You know how to write. You can do a little math or at least problem solve your way out of a situation. Yep. Uh, and then there's this career conversation as to like, what is it that you want to do? And when you think of like doing a career, it's like something that you're going to, you won't mind doing for the rest of your life mm -hmm. or at least for a good part of your life. Um, and, and I always share with them um, something I didn't tell you here early on um, is that on my graduation day, um, I graduated on a Saturday at 10 a.m. 
I had no plan for Monday morning. And so if I ever write a memoir, that's going to, that's the title is going to be Monday morning. Um, <laughs> I had no plan. I had all day Sunday to kind of sit and think about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Um, and then Monday came and I was still working on my plan from Sunday. Um, I'm like, man, I, I didn't come up with anything yesterday. Let me try today. Um, but I always share with them is that you should always be planning for your career, mm -hmm. no matter what it is, right? If you're in the sixth grade or seventh grade, always start working towards that career. So the skills that you attain, you can start to think about how you'll apply them, yeah. right? And so, um, when I'm working with the schools here in Springfield, you know, that's the conversation I'm having. What is it that we're working towards? Uh, what skills can we attain today that will help us get to that, that goal or that, you know, that career path? And if college is one of the tools that we need to get there, you know, we'll add that in there. Yeah. Well, if trade school is what we need, that's what we'll add there. If there's a certificate, we'll add that. You know, if there's something that is standing in between you and starting that career, that's where we fill it in. Yep. We don't make that thing a requirement, right? Um, if you're going to be a landscaper, you don't really need a degree, yeah. right? So, you know, you know how to use your equipment. You have a good sense of how to uh, acquire a business. You know, you don't need a $40,000, $50,000, $120,000 degree, yep. right? You've created yourself a skill set and a trade that you can now used to fund your dreams, if yep. you will. Um, and so I, I talk to students about that. So start thinking about what you want to do today. And then we start looking for those skill sets that will be needed. Um, and so that's the majority of the work I do with the Urban League. And then during the after school time, I work with students who are interested in STEM programs. Yep. So science, technology, engineering, math, um, and then for the fancy ones, the art. Uh, I won't say fancy because art is a. a I, I know you're mind, killing yourself right, right now. <laughs> um, no, because they usually they say STEAM um, is that um, you know acronym for yeah. that. Uh, but my program really focuses on STEM. I have to add the AN, um, you know, for my my own uh, or my for me to make good sense of what I do. I'll say. Um, in your delivery method, right? Your delivery right. method yeah, of content yeah. adds the every, A. <laughs> every, everything is art, right? The, the art of speaking, the art of sharing information, um, you know, how I draw on the board. Uh, they think it's drawing. I actually think it's writing notes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, just using uh, my creativity to, you know, bring different lessons and different ways of understanding uh, to the students. I think is my art, is the art form that I uh, present to them, you know, when we meet. Yeah. So I oversee that those programs, really helping them to identify a career path. Yeah. And so many of them like, oh, I want to be an engineer, I want to be a math teacher, or, you know, any number of things. And so kind of, you know, work backwards yep. um, with them to unpack, you know, they've already decided on, you know, this thing now how do we get there and so we kind of work through those steps and it's a great 
what you just described in my mind is a great quality of, of leadership and how to teach leadership is like, Hey, set, set this vision for yourself. And it, it might change, right. As I think it, and it has for both of us, like I'm, I'm doing something different than I went to undergraduate yeah. for. And, 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 and you are to some degree, yeah. set this vision. And then that will allow you to plan accordingly and that will allow you to wake up and have a purposeful day as opposed to a survival day right mm -hmm. so let's not just show up and get through the school day let's show up and get through the school day with some purpose right, right. with some you know intense focus on whatever it is that's that stepping stone to bring you yeah. closer to that that goal or that vision yeah so yeah that's i try to try to teach them like you know get what you can out of every situation right yep. um because most of the students say, oh, I don't need this, or I don't need that, or you know, the classic line, I don't need algebra. And I say, do you fall up or downstairs? <laughs> no. I said, well, you need algebra, and you're using it every step you take. And they're like, ah. Oh. Dang it, he's got us again. Right. <laughs> and the, the other thing that, that you touched on a little bit is that, you know, in, in order to effectively lead and teach those lessons, there, there has to be some element of, of relationship and there has to be a, a young adult or, or a middle, you know, a teenager or youth looking at James and saying, this is somebody that I can take stock in. This is somebody I can trust. And it's great to hear you're kind of, you know, you're leveraging your personal experiences. I, you know, I think they enjoy hearing about them and it, it lets them know like this guy struggled too. Or this guy, you know, had to overcome some stuff to get to be where he's at, and it's okay. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, candidly, like that bow tie has less meaning when I tell them, like, I didn't know what I was going to do on Monday. And they're like, wait, what? You, but you look so well put together. I was like, I know, but. You don't Monday have it all figured out? Really nope. And it, it took a lot of, it, I'll say it took a lot of mentors and friends and conversations to really get me you know on this path to identifying what it what that it was yeah you know um it, i want to be a, a director of you know programs or a executive director but what does that mean and for what organization and then what what type of organization is it that i would want to lead mm -hmm. and so having a lot of conversations having you know, good friends and good mentors to say, hey, James, you're really good at this, or I like how you did that, or can you come and do this thing that I need? And you start to become aware of, you know, your gifts or your, your superpower, I'll say, yeah. right, um, of building relationships and of making connections with folks who probably would never come together or think about coming together. Um, and and, and that becoming like the thing that makes you a good leader yep. and, and good for whatever the position is, you know, and I, I think about on becoming a, a school teacher, um, you know, for those few years and I had no teaching experience in a formal, formal teaching, like formal experience. training. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, formal yep. training. I had never really written a curriculum. Yep. I wrote these ideas <laughs> um, based on research on how, uh, art should be delivered um, to youth and in a, in a non-traditional way, right? So it shouldn't be like a, you know, chalkboard or a whiteboard, you know, pen and pad in a laboratory or a studio. Um, 
you do it in a community, you do it out on a sidewalk, you present art wherever you possibly can um, so that young people can have that experience. And it then, you know, kind of whets their appetite for like, oh, I could do this for a living yeah. or this is something I could do for a hobby or something to de-stress. Um, and, you know, I, I, I use, you know, I wrote this long paper or book, <laughs> if you will, um, and showed it to the principal at Springfield Renaissance. And he brought me in for an interview. Um, he actually had me do what they were calling, um, I, I can't remember the name of this two week or this one week experience they would have um, for the students that was non-class time. Oh, the uh, intensives. Uh, intensive yeah intensives, yep, I, yep. I came in and did an art intensive and uh you know by that friday when everything was over he was ready to uh you know bring me in for an interview and that's that's how that happened yep you know and i was like oh wow so maybe i i am good at teaching or at least instruction or leading i guess whatever word you want to use uh there's a skill set that i showed that i was good at um and you know, I, I started to, to work from there. Yeah. So now I was able, I was building some skills or packaging them together to, to uh, fulfill the duties of that, you know, specific responsibility. Uh, that was those two years sharing a room with you and a group of students in the crew, the homeroom yeah. and popping into your class when I was free and vice versa. That I, again, you go to school and you, you read about all that, like, I learned a ton from you in, in, in relationship development and, you know, mild mannered, calm and cool, at least on the exterior was like, wow, this guy is unflappable. Um, and then having conversations afterwards and, and finding out he was really good at acting at times. Uh, <laughs> it's all an act. <laughs> But it, it was, it was great to be, cause, and I am not into the arts all that much. And just to see a certain style of leadership come through in, uh, in that different venue. So James, it's obvious in, in your career choices and your, your work stuck going back to the age of, of 14 at the Y back home there's a passion for educating, there's a passion for teaching, for connecting with and mentoring and really just overall youth development, right? Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, there's, there's a plenty of different ways to do that. And you've had your, your hand in, in, in a lot of them. Where, where does the, and you know, the involvement in the YMCA, you've done work with the Mass Alliance on teen pregnancy. You've done work with the Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, Boys and Girls Club of Greater Holyoke. Like you're, everything that you've done is in, been geared towards the development of youths. Where, where does that passion originate from? Where does it come from? You know, and, I, and I, I, I will say, I go back to those early experiences with my mentor. Like I, I looked up to what he did, but never wanted to do those things. Or I never seen myself being able to do um, what he did at that time. Um, but over, over time, I started to see that I embodied a lot of, um, of the skill sets and the, and the, the practices um, that I seen him model for me. Um, and realizing that had I not had um, him and several others in my life that I probably could have 
taking a different direction and, you know, ended up doing something that I didn't, um, didn't appreciate and didn't love, um, or, or even make it to this point in my life. And so I'll say I, I started to realize that you need someone like that in your corner. And without having someone um, like that, you know, you can end up, end up somewhere else. So I, I realized that I wanted to be that, that person um, for someone. And, you know, I'll say, luckily, it became many someones that yep. I was able to, uh, you know, have an impact on. I mean, I, I said, I've been doing this work um, at minimum 15 years, but probably even like 20. I was going to say, it's got to be um, closer to 20. At this point, you know, and I've worked with, you know, I, I can almost say several different young people who are now becoming the mentors for, um, where they're becoming the mentors for other youth, yep. you know, um, and so I'm, I'm really, you know, happy that I've been able to have the impact um, on them and, you know, kind of pass the baton so I don't have to work as hard <laughs> anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, th there's more people out there doing this work. And so all that motivation came from me realizing that, you know, the future needed someone to have their back, support them, um, you know, really uh, be in a position to guide them, um, you know, during the next steps of their lives. Yeah. And it's show, I mean, again, there's no, you know, report card for somebody doing that, but the fact that some of the young adults that you mentored years ago, the fact that they're now doing that, I mean, that's, that tells the story right there. Yeah. It's got to make yeah, you feel, it, feel pretty darn good about your work. It, it, it makes me feel good that like I had some impact, you know, and I, I know it probably wasn't just me that helped them um, along the way, but I was, a, I played a piece. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a part of the puzzle that kind of helped lead them to, you know, their success or their leadership, um, you know, position. Prior Prior to COVID, so prior to March, in your work, in, in, in your views and in your work with the youth and the young adults, what would you say were like the primary, what was the primary need or the primary needs of the young adults that you were working with? And then, you know, from a leadership standpoint, what were some of the things you did to support them or fill those needs give us a little insight into like the needs assessment and how you went about fulfilling those needs for the young adults yeah so you know every school uh that i work with and even the after school program i realized that they you know were getting this very like generic cookie cutter version of college prep or <laughs> career um prep and i wanted to really um, we have a live right. audience here today, so it's good. Yes. <laughs> I really wanted to, uh, you know, kind of help prepare them in a way that fit their needs, their mm -hmm. personal needs. And so, you know, once the school allowed me to come into the doors, um, or the young people showed up to my program, I would ask them, you know, what they're, what they were preparing, preparing for in their future, or, you know, what are some things that they wish they'd known about, you know, the next steps of their life. And so it's a real kind of live 
you know, needs assessment, not with a bunch of questions, but something that they could, you know, kind of point to in the moment, you know, and many of them start off with, I want to know more about college. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, oh, this is starting from A, right? So I can start from the ground and work my way through, you know, the rest of the experience. And I'd always start with the various types of colleges. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the 15 minutes I would spend giving different descriptions and examples of the types of college would blow the student's mind, right? Because they're like, wow, I didn't know that existed. And I didn't know, you know, there was a difference from a university and a college. And I didn't know, you know, a trade school or a technical school were different from, you know, or private or public or rural or suburban or urban. So you had a blank canvas. I had a blank canvas. And so I would tell them these things and, you know, then I give them the chance to go and do some research and, you know, their, their minds would be like so open with so many other questions that, you know, things they probably never thought of or things they've been waiting to have answered. Um, and, it, you know, it, that would then allow the lessons or the curriculum to take on a life of its own. And so then I could really um, set the curriculum up to fit, you know, fit them as opposed to giving them something out of a book that says, all right, now on page three. Yeah, James, great, great stuff there, James. And, you know, again, that idea of it's not a cookie cutter solution if you're working in youth development. And there's not really cookie cutter solutions to anything. It's really that process of the goal identification, the the relationship so you can help the students start to assess where they are and you can start to form your assessments of where they are and then, you know, kind of catering what you're doing to, to, to meet them where they are so that, that they can continue to develop. And, um, you know, I know you're also involved in a, a program called the, the hundred males to college program. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that program and who it's designed to serve and kind of what, what your role has been in that as well. Yeah, sure. So the hundred males to college uh, initiative was uh, developed by the department of higher education uh, out in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, they're looking to, create a, a pipeline uh, and a bridge for a low income and males of color. So as data has shown, you know, throughout years mm-hmm. um, that, you know, men and then especially low income and males of color are performing less than, you know, their non, uh, their counterpart, right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, white males, females um, and females of color. And so the uh, Department of Higher Ed found um, that they wanted to um, invest uh, in communities where there are large populations of of that demographic um, to kind of help support their educational pathway. Um, And so here in Springfield, we were the um, first site that they selected. um, And it was a partnership, um, as I said, with the Department of Higher Ed, um, Springfield Technical Community College, uh, Westfield State University, Westfield State University, and the Springfield Public Schools, um, and then we had another uh, host of institutions that joined in, and the whole goal of it is to really provide uh, this space where uh, the young men uh, who are participants to uh, excel, right? And so we put them in contact with you know mentors. They have success coaches in um, their high schools. 
Um, and then we provide them with a host of workshops that really helps to motivate them to moving on to that next next phase in their life, whether it's the military or, uh, you know, a, a trade, mm -hmm. um, like the workforce or on to college. Um, and my role in that, um, as I worked with uh, one of the institutions, was really to provide some support as the students transition from uh, the high school um, into the uh, community college or into the university. Uh, so I was there, you know, kind of catching them as soon yep. as they applied to help them, you know, move along uh, the rest of the way, you know, and so as I was sharing in some of my other experiences, you know, that was having a mentor is needed, right, for you to be successful. All of us have, uh, have them in our lives. So um, it's necessary that each phase of your life that you move into, you have someone there to support you. And so that's essentially what the 100 Males to College program is, you know, really making sure that along the way, there's someone there to help support you. Yeah. And did you find, I mean, you're talking about a demographic of, of young males of color who maybe, you know, in their family or in the community that they live where there's not a lot of an older male who has gone that route, who has gone to college and like connecting them with somebody who's maybe been from a similar spot and has made that transition and give it, give, hey, it's, it can be done. Like giving right. them that, like almost not a hope, but just like it's it's possible, it's doable. Well, it yeah, and we, and we provide like some very specific modeling for them. So they have the success coaches, the mentors, all have traveled a similar path. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I'll say ironically, all of us can share a story. Say, you know, I was almost here, or you know, almost didn't make it out of this situation. And it's not that we went and interviewed several people to say, you know, did you have a struggle? All right, you're in. <laughs> It just happened, you know, that a part of the experience, you know, you're a person of color, you come from a low income background, you're first generation college student, you're probably the first in your family to graduate high school, you're, you come from their same community, so you kind of understand uh, the experiences they're having. So any of those, you know, boxes, if you will, um, fit what it is that those young people need a model for. Yeah. And an understanding that you can make it out of whatever the situation is. Yeah. That's so great. It's a lot of providing hope, uh, but also letting them know that, you know, what you're currently in is not a place where you're stuck. Yeah. It's not a definition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've touched on like the needs assessment and kind of some of the work you've done prior to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, obviously in March, the the you know it was flipped upside down a little bit and you know during the the pandemic and the stay home stay stay safe order we also have this racial discourse in the in the country mm -hmm. and you know you and I I it was probably back in March or maybe early April we had a, a great phone conversation it was an hour long on the ride yeah. and just you know from my vantage point this year, it's been like, this stuff has been happening for a long time. It's, it's wrong. It's, 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 it's sickening. And I, this year though, was the first year where it was felt like truly palpable in your face. Like this just happened and immediately it's all over social. It's all over the internet and, and, and the outrage starts and the, 
the tension begins. And so you have this going on. You have, again, COVID-19. You have kids stripped away of like their social uh, connections with peers and with, with some of those adult role models that are so critical. How has COVID-19 plus, <laughs> and, and it's a big plus, yeah. how has that impacted their needs and then your your adjustment as a as a leader as somebody that's providing these services um to help them realize that hey again this doesn't define who you are there's still hope for you and you know i guess for being that person that can support can make feel safe when i i'd have to guess that there's times when a 15 year old black male from springfield maybe doesn't feel safe how, how, how did that change things james yeah it 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 changed like very quickly and in a weird way um, because we had already been providing, uh, you know, some of that support service uh, because this is not a, a new thing. Yeah. You know, we can start, I'll say early as for our young people like Traylon Martin's yeah. death, you know, but then for that to keep on and then, you know, history unveils itself where this is not a new situation. And so our young people, um, you know, become aware of, of the challenges they face. And so a lot of the work that we started to do was to educate them um, on, you know, things that they can do um, to like be mindful of, of, of their well-being, their mental, um, their, their mental capacity, because a lot of the young men I was working with um, started to worry, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the, the statement came, I was like, am I next? Yeah. You know, and I had to constantly say, you know, it's not where they're currently living is probably not one of those high risk areas. However, be aware yeah. of your surroundings, be aware of what you're involved in um, and don't intentionally put yourself um, in a situation where, you know, one of these uh, tragic incidents could happen to you. Um, a lot of the um, mentors um, that I've worked with, um, you know, we've constantly tried to figure out ways to help empower our young men so that, you know, they didn't feel a certain way um, when they came across law enforcement um, or, or, or had some incidents that they mm-hmm. know, you know, I'm going to, you know, end up, you know, confronting or being engaged with um, the police. So, you know, we found um, this tool book um, by this gentleman who actually used to work for the FBI. Really? Um, yeah. Um, I'm, 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 the, the name of the, um, it's a small book. It's so small that you'd be like, oh, but someone took time to write it. Um, it's how to survive a police confrontation or something, or how not to get killed by the cops. Yeah. One of those two. Um, I'll get you a copy so that you'll have it. Um, but we provided this to young men so that they'll know the process um, that, sh- that they should take um, when engaging with um, police officer, security guard, whoever. Um, but even like us thinking about that process of finding an instrument to share with them, it's like, why do we have to do this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a conversation came up uh, from one of the young men I'm remembering asking, you know, I wonder if other ethnicities of people have to have the same conversation with their young men. 
And I, I can say, you know, I'm, I'm the, you know, product of a police officer yeah. that it was a natural conversation because my father knew, you know, the, the challenges that I may um, experience growing up. But, you know, for a lot of the young men, I couldn't be sure to say that happens with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to, to talk to them about that. Um, you know, a, a lot of information around social justice came up. So, you know, that became a buzzword in the last, you know, five, 10 years or so where, you know, it probably wasn't written in a curriculum. Yeah. Um, so we really had to explain to the young men and young ladies that mm-hmm. we work with um, what that is and what it looks like um, and how they can then become involved um, in positive movements. So not like rioting or, um, you, you know, causing, you know, trouble in their community, but following a good process that would then hopefully move to some change. Um, So (laughs) talking about academics, uh, really moved to the backseat. You know, my check-ins with my students um, would be, how are you doing? You know, how's everything in your neighborhood? You know, how's your family doing? Um, And then we may talk a little bit about academics. Um, You know, even the idea of going to college you know, change, you know, because then they start to read reports of like incidents happening on college campuses. Um, And so even that, you know, makes them think like, oh, does this happen on this campus? And, you know, will I be, you know, experiencing any racial tension if I went here or there? Um, You know, I work with a lot of students who were on their way, I hate to name drop this school, (laughs) but a school out in Westfield, Massachusetts. And there are a lot of incidents that were taking place there on campus, um, on the campus there in Westfield, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Um, and, you know, a lot of students that I was working with were starting to, you know, say, I'm, that's not on my list anymore. Yeah. And it was unfortunate, you know, that now we're having a conversation um, of students not going to colleges because of things that are you know, come into light in the world. Not as if they're new, mm-hmm. you know, it's just that something that they're, wow, it happens there also. Yeah. So it's now not just um, specific to my city or my neighborhood. It's now happening wherever I may go. Yeah. Um, and so the, the conversations and the challenges of working with our young people were, were, were great. And until this day, you know, still trying to talk to them, um, <laughs> about the racial incidents, and then now what happens if and when they return to school? Um, you know, how, how are they gonna adjust to all the things that they've experienced, all the trauma that has occurred in their life? You know, it, getting back to normal for them doesn't really, you know, exist. Cause like now it's like, what is normal for them? Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, that's, that's been the experience and my work um, is continuous, continuously been to make sure their mental status, you know, in good health, um, that they have some, some very positive images and ideas before them. Um, and, you know, the unfortunate part that I have to share with them is that this is not new, mm-hmm. right? This, we have lived, um, our ancestors and elders have lived through these experiences before. 
Um, and we just use their knowledge to kind of move ahead and keep pushing on to hopefully, um, you know, get some change um, in the world. And that's, you know, that's how uh, we reflect and how we've adjusted a lot of the practices that we have. So the fun youth development stuff kind of goes out the window, um, you know, and it becomes a little deeper and to really make sure that they're in a good headspace to keep, um, you know, pushing along. And so you have that, as you're saying, the racial tension over COVID-19, which I've had a couple of young people who've lost family. And so it's like now dealing with that also. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's, I would say in, in short, it's been a challenge. Um, but, you know, I've worked to adjust with them and kind of keep them in a good good space. And it's, you know, it, again, we're, you're talking specifically to young black males in Springfield, the, the, the pot, the pie, like this situation, like the COVID-19 situation was a, was a pile on to everybody, right? Everybody's got piled right. on with this whole new change. And then you, you, you put the, the, the racial tension and the, and the, the issues, the tragedies that have happened, like their piles bigger, right? The, yeah. the, these youths that you're working with their, their pile, to, from an outside point of view is, is, is heavier. It's bigger than it should be. It's unfair. Right. And they're trying to figure this thing out <laughs> as young people while they're digesting new things at the same time. So it, I, I would hate to be a young person or younger person in this day and age because they don't have time to really sit on um, information. You know, I think as we did as youth, it's like we find out something happened. We have a few days to really kind of, mm-hmm. you know, get through it and, you know, grieve or have a moment to process where now it's like they get information through their phones or whatever they're using. And then once that happens, something else arises and then something else arises, you know, and it's like a, a constant flow of like negativity or challenges that they experience. And this is outside or on top of COVID, yeah. which now it's like something they, they can't control on top of something that they're trying to understand. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's a tough reality, I think, for, for them. And then the constant, you know, uh, having to, the, the constant viewing of, you know, a, a man of color being, you know, abused or killed or, you know, mistreated on TV and then replayed hundreds of times from different angles does something, you know, to that, that, that mental state and it's challenging. And so it's like, how do you, I ask the question to them and often try to think to myself, how do you remove those things from them so that they can just live the life as a young person? They can be teenagers. Right. So they can which, just be teens, which we, we both, do. we both know being a teen is, is, is awkward enough as it is. <laughs> right. Like not trying to make adult decisions or process adult situations. Yeah. You know, it, and here in Springfield, there's a group of young, young people um, hosting a protest march to the police station, you know, and then adults, you know, help to support them. But I was just thinking as a young person, Granted, probably things like this to this degree were not going on. Mm-hmm. I, 
I I would have I wouldn't have had that mental state um to to want to lead a protest. Yeah. Right? Or even the need to. Like I I think that's the other challenge is that our young people now are in a position where they have to step up into leadership roles. Mm-hmm for several reasons one because they don't see the leadership there so they feel like they need to take it on there's a void or or the leadership that is there is not moving at their speed and you know so i I often think of like you know people who play chess and checkers right (laughs) people play checkers really fast right because they just want to win whereas chess is a a a process yeah right it's a it's a mind game you're trying to strategize each move so that you know you can really get the best uh outcome as possible and a lot of our young people uh, are going into certain situations playing checker yeah you know because they want the win we want our voice heard now you know we want to get our message across today as opposed to figuring out you know the long game Mm -hmm. so like what can we do now that'll move us to this place where we really want the change to happen. Um, but again, as a teenager, I, I wasn't thinking like that. And I didn't want to think like that. So like they're forced into these positions, you know, to do some things that um, they're not ready for, but you know, the, that void, as you said, um, kind of pushes them into that position to have to act. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's one way to get ready for it though. Like, or, or there's a couple ways to get, but one way to get ready for something is to, to, to do it, to pre- And it's the situation as to why it's happening is, is horrible. Yeah. But the fact that young kids or, or young teens, young adults are stepping up, you know, it's gotta, it, it, it's gotta provide some light to say, Hey, when these, teens are now in a position where they're young adults and they're in their you know 20s and 30s and they've had this early life experience that came that was born from tragedy multiple tragedies right and they went out there and they they did it they did something they did something that was positive they didn't do something that was destructive like they're building their bag of tricks right now in you know, a, a live real world environment. It's not a yeah. simulation. It's not something you read about in a book and you say, ah, oh, what would I do? Um, and you hope that they, and again, I think working with you and, and, and people like you, there's that, there's that support. There's that, I think, continual drive to say, Hey, if we can make a difference now, we can continue to make a difference. And it sounds like you're, you're, you're supporting them as they start to make these decisions, which oh, is awesome. Definitely. Yeah. And, and we don't want them to fail. I don't want them to fail. And so you see them go out there and say, you know, we're going to gather everyone at city hall. We're going to gather everyone to march to the police station. You know, I, I'm always the person driving a question of like, all right, so what's happening when we get there? Yeah. What's the goal? What's the purpose of this activity? So that is not for, you know, a show, not for a photo op, not for, you know, us to get news coverage, you know, and a lot of, you know, the young people who are not privileged, I'll say, and it's probably a privilege or given the opportunity to have like leadership 
um, who will ask those questions in front of them often just jump into something and, you know, they hope for a good outcome. Mm -hmm. But but those that are having good, getting good mentorship and some good support have someone, you know, making them think before they act. Making sure they're playing chess, not playing chess. Right. Make sure, make sure they're <laughs> playing chess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and I think in, in all leadership, right, or even in, you know, academics or wherever, it's like you are trying to set students up so that they can continuously uh, have, a, have a move, right? Mm -hmm. Have a next move so that the last move they make is not the last move yep. that they can make. Um, and, you know, con constantly, you know, asking them questions, making them think um, critically about, you know, if you move if you move this way or if you make this decision, you know, what are the outcomes, right? So then you can start to plan, you know, your next steps from there. Um, and, you know, it, some of them are taking heed to it. You're seeing um, a lot of them not moving as quickly as, you know, they have previously. Yeah. Um, they're really thinking about um, who, who they're bringing to the table and who they're engaging you know, it's no longer like, I want to speak to the chief and the mayor and a city councilor. And it's like, all right, so before we go there, let's <laughs> think about what all those people bring to the table. All right. And who's going to be on your side as you approach them. Yeah. And then what is your approach? Right. You're not going to, you know, go into their office or send them an email or post on, you know, social media, you know, how, how badly you feel about them. Right. You go in there with a strategy of like, you want to have a conversation. These are the things you're concerned about. This is how you would like them to address, address them unless you, unless they have better recommendations and you go from there. Yep. Right. And the strategy becomes like, how can you get them on your side so that you can still get the win? Becomes how, do you, how it's the influence. It's not right. just, you know, pointing fingers and making demands. I wish more I'm going to say it more adults on social media practice exactly what you just talked about is you can rip the mayor on Facebook. You're the, you know, the, I live in this town Facebook page, right? You're venting. <laughs> right. As opposed to having a, a conversation, Yeah. you know, to say, all right, this is what I'm seeing from my perspective. You know, you probably don't see it because of your perspective, yeah. but this is where we can meet and share our perspectives and then form some solutions that both of us can live with and hopefully can improve our community or our network. You know, and that's a, a lot of the young people um, are often thinking about themselves, right? As opposed to thinking about the entire um, community they live in, right? So they're not thinking that the decision they're making is gonna impact their community. They think it's all about me Yeah. until someone, you know, says, well, you know, if you do this, you know, if you do this and the light is shining on you, now your whole neighborhood is going to have the light on them. Yeah. So have you prepared those people or have you brought them along, um, you know, so that they're aware of what's about to happen? Mm -hmm. Right. Because the, the, I hate to use the term lone wolf. So let's find something else, right? So if you're singled out, <laughs> um, you know, and doing something kind of rogue and on your own, but then they're going to find what you're connected to 
or who you're connected to. There's all those residual right. effects all of it. The, yeah. All the, the wave, right? Yeah. So like what else is going to be impacted as you make this one, one movement? And so a part of your strategy is to say, all right, how can I do this that will have a positive impact on all those that are connected mm-hmm. or all those things that are connected? And we see this, you know, in the media often, you know, someone make some off-color comment and it ruins their career. Yeah. But then, you know, if they start to pull it back, they start to see all the other things that are connected to this person and it then impacts other people's careers. Yeah. And, you know, we never know. So making sure our young people have the, the tools they need uh, and the right support so that they're making the right decisions um, you know, so they're able to make some change. And one thing, James, I've always admired about, you know, either working alongside of you or just in our conversations that have been outside of the school hours or, uh, you know, on car rides, uh, six hour trips to Baltimore is, uh, <laughs> is that you're, you, you set an expectation, you set a standard and, the, the attitude with, as long as I've known you has never been, well, geez, I got to lower this standard. It's been more about, Hey, wh- what can I do? Or what can we do as adults as supports people who care to provide, whether it's get on my back and get to that standard or work with each other and get to that standard. That's one of the things that you do extremely well is, you know, I think it just comes down to relationships, reading the room and, being fluid enough to provide the the resources and the connections and to to help them you know meet and exceed the standard and it's one thing we've probably both learned in our work in in education and working with youths is they'll 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 meet a tough standard yeah if the support's in place if the community's in place if the the mentorship is in place and you know it's it's always something i've admired watching you work right yeah I appreciate that. But, you know, people see themselves in others, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, you see those, you know, those things in me because you, you access them or you attain those things as well. You know, your strong leadership and guidance and ability to connect in a way um, that, you know, others may think uh, is impossible, right? So you, you have a very kind of strong, I won't say strong and strict, but like, you know, we're going to do this, but we're also going to have fun doing it. And yeah. you're going to learn a uh, part of your personality, which I admire because I always have to find the fun in something <laughs> to really build a relationship. Whereas I'm starting to learn that, you know, some of that structure and um, formality is necessary so that people, you know, are safe yeah. and they don't get injured or they don't do anything because they then really take, um, you know, take a, take a good, um, make a good connection with, you know, whatever the activity or the event or um, op- opportunity is, right? And so mm-hmm. I've, I've always, I've admired that, you know, um, Thank you. <laughs> about you and, you know, all the things that you do, I, I share with my young people, um, you know, they always have these kind of like very bizarre plans for careers of what they want to do and i say hey you can be anything you want i say i have a good friend who does outdoor adventure education 
And they're like, wait, what's that? And I said, so all those things that, you know, we try to get you to leave like the city yeah. and go do and experience to build, you know, build a stronger sense of yourself. I said, my friend runs that. He does that for a living. And they're like, wait, that's like somebody's job? I said, no, that's somebody's career. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're training other people to do that. So they're actually, he's building other leaders for tomorrow. And oftentimes they can't believe it. And so, you know, you've, um, you know, presented yourself in a way where, you know, you don't know that you're building leaders um, <laughs> who think they're already leaders, right? So <laughs> thank you for all that you're doing. Man. Thank you. And you're very welcome. And I, I, yeah. I definitely owe you a, a Sunday night Zoom with your group. So we got to get that on the books. Absolutely. One, one thing. So again, I, I, we've worked together a bunch and I, we both you know, cross admire each other and, and our different skill sets. One skill set that you have that is truly unique that I, I couldn't even be in the same ballpark in the same room as you is in performance in acting, dance, poetry, like drawing your, you have a side that I have yet to find <laughs> that is absolutely impressive. So your involvement in the performing arts, the, the creative arts, the community theater, um, how did, did you, was that a, something at a young age that you were like, wow, this connects like, or, or was it something that you acquired over time, but you're in it, you've, you've taught it. And, and how, how did you get started on that path, James? I'm, I'm going to take you back a, a few years, um, <clears throat> second grade or third grade, sorry, third grade and my mother, and this would be a short story. <laughs> uh, James could not stay still. And so uh, there is a choice of finding James an activity uh, that will uh, utilize all that energy he had um, and not be uh, destructive to him um, or anything in his home. And so my mom, um, I, I transitioned schools uh, from second grade to third grade. Um, and there was a majestics club. So that was a singing choral group. Yeah. Um, that was my first real kind of introduction into the performing arts. And I don't sing now. I, in my head, I do. Um, <laughs> but that was my introduction into the performing arts. And so the Majestics, um, we'd sing and then we would do like short, you know, skits or dramatic performances. And that's where it all began, right? So third grade, um, and, and there was, a, there was a, a huge change in my behavior. Because um, a lot of that energies now started to be, you know, harnessed for singing and being a part of this group. And I needed to maintain my grades, yeah. you know, in order to be a part of the group. Um, and so I say that's where it started. And then I just developed a love for creativity and, and doing different things. So I would, you know, draw and sketch. I love putting things together, um, you know, um, Seeing, seeing what opportunities can come up as you bridge different things that probably didn't go together. So I had this little, um, this, is, this is funny, I'm remembering this now, um, a little record player. Okay. And so I've messed up so many uh, records that I probably could have had by now. <laughs> I could have had now as collectors. 
but I go and like, you know, either slow the voices down so they be like, <laughs> but learning to play with, you know, voices yep. and uh, music, um, all, all that encompassed like my my arts. Um, dance came along. Um, I I seen the show. I had to be in tenth or eleventh grade. Um, bringing the noise, bringing the funk. It was a tap tap dance show. Um, Savion Glover, and I'd seen that, and it blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, "There's no way someone is moving their feet and making good rhythms like that." I was like, "I have to learn to do that." And so, what does James do? He asks his mom to go and find him some tap shoes. Well. Didn't know tap shoes were really expensive. So I met a woman at the YMCA. She taught um, dance. She found a pair of old uh, tap shoes and we'd go in one of the racquetball rooms and she taught me to tap, All right? And then from there, it just continued to build. Um, got into college, joined a dance troupe. Nice. Um, so I was like the sole male tap dancer in the group for a while. I think some others came along afterwards, but you know, I felt like, oh man, I'm like Jackie the trend, Robinson. The trendsetter. Right. right. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, there had not been a space for, you know, guys to perform. And so I kind of, you know, opened that up to, you know, for other people to perform. And it's a good outlet, you know, I'll say it's a good outlet for the energy I have. Yeah. You know, and others may not understand or see that I have that energy because I've learned to harness it uh, and use it in different ways um, but that's how it started so it was like uh, you know do this or you know you're going to be in trouble um, but it, it turned out I, I used that energy for good um, and so now being able to perform in community theater um, I had the opportunity to use some of my creativity and passion for the arts um, to teach and educate you know some young people in the school system uh, to this day, I still write. Um, I have my, my children who now we sing every day. Um, so you do still sing. You were lying I, before. I, you still I, sing. I, I, I still <laughs> sing to uh, a limited audience. Um, <laughs> Exclusive are, tickets. This is not a, this, these are not for sale to the general public. Who, who are too young to judge me yet. There you go. <laughs> um, no, yeah. So do that. And, and just, it's, it's a good outlet, you know, yeah. I've found. And something I love to do. You know, some people have other, I'll say vices or things that they use to get their energy out, different hobbies, um, you know, reading a good play or, you know, writing a poem, you know, drawing, whatever is that, you know, that space for me. Of I've yet to, you know, crack into um, like playing an instrument, yeah. right? So that's one thing that I, have yet to do i've attempted piano but um i have there's nothing i've yet to commit maybe that'll be my next commitment right to i think that i think that should be and, yeah and and play um so i've been finding yeah. on the internet there's build your own ukulele kits like piano has all these keys a ukulele has like right. four strings so i think that if you're gonna get into it just do that's it, the way right? to go yeah, yeah just get it yeah build your own make it and you, could, you could paint it and yeah so i think you, you'd be right. like over overload like so much art potential in this one little project <laughs> hey 
that, that doesn't sound too bad. The ukulele, I could play and dance at the they, same time. That's... You're good. Problem solved. <laughs> Next commitment. Write it down, right. ladies and gentlemen. Right. <laughs> um, James and the ukulele. <laughs> So uh, for for you, performance has been an outlet and a way for you to, to you know, focus energy in a, in a positive light. You've also, as you mentioned, you've also used uh, performing as an educational tool for the youths. What do you see from, from your outside perspective as the instructor or the teacher? What do you see the youths uh, who, who buy into it? It's not for everybody. Right. Just like everybody mm-hmm. kind of everybody grows up playing youth soccer and then they stop at a certain grade right. because they're like, I'm, they're done with it. Like the, the youths who really get into it and embrace it. What have you seen at, uh, at kind of some of the residual you know, results of their participation in it? It's funny that you would ask that. Um, and I was thinking of how I could share this um, as I was speaking previously. You know, young people who hated being in my class. Uh, when I was teaching uh, performing arts or, or theater, uh, have come back to me, um, you know, years after saying, I learned so much from you. I'm so happy that, you know, I had a chance to take your class. Uh, you helped me overcome my fear of speaking in public. Um, some have gone on to actually study theater yeah. um, in college. And so, like, for those I'm always surprised because I was like, man, did I do that good a job? That, uh, <laughs> you now want to do this for a living? Um, but that residual is like you've seen, I've seen a lot of the young people who I've worked with or shared, um, you know, the, the art um, that I've created or had a chance to create with them um, come back and, you know, they're doing, you know, similar work. Um, they're inviting me to performances. They're playing in bands. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they've been exposed to some other cultural activities or cultural arts that, um, you know, they probably would have never seen. Um, and you kind of see it in the way they're living their life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they are able to overcome some different challenges, right? Because of what I presented to them in the classroom, right? So they had to, uh, you know, do some critical thinking when I put them on stage, right? A lot of a lot of students, and I don't know if you can remember any of the shows that we, oh, yeah. um, you know, put on at Renaissance, but a lot of them had never stood on a stage before. And so, and they'd never had the spotlight on them. And so to just put them on a, in the position to have all eyes on them for 30 seconds or 30 minutes was huge. Cause now it's like, you can handle a little pressure in life, yep. Yep. right? You, you can now make it through whatever challenge, um, you know, that may come your way. So it's the parallels. So like one of the things I throw around a lot is, is, is nothing exceptional will ever come from just staying comfortable, staying in your comfort zone. And the avenue of getting people out of their comfort zone in what you do and what I do is very different, you know, but there's so many similarities, like, you know, for me, it might be climbing up a tree, take like taking one more step than you give yourself credit for. For you, it could be that first 15 second up on stage, lights on you. And then right. there's these parameters that we have set in place where we know there's not real risk involved for the, the youth or the teen or the student. Mm-hmm. 
but in their mind it's super risky <laughs> and for them to like you know put their put their toe in the water and start to venture out of it and then come back in after the fact whether it's after completing a 50 foot climb and being lowered to the ground or their 30 seconds uh, uh front and center they right. realize like i'm all right i, I should, know, actually I, feel damn good about what i just did <laughs> I, I remember students having to do monologues uh, for the first time and so you know you give them time to actually write and practice these so it's not like they're freestyling off the yeah. top of their head but just like think about something you know you give them a topic and um, you know you're going to talk about this without anyone interjecting like this is going to be all you yeah and I'm remembering a student who got up there and froze like scared you know, like, oh my goodness, I don't, I, I don't know what to say. I said, it's right there on your paper, right? You have all the tools right there. No one's going to stop you. No one even knows what's on your paper. You just have to open up your mouth and say what you're going to say. Yeah. Right. And that student then was able to say, oh, I can use the paper. I was like, <laughs> and give us a little eye contact every now and then. Right. So this wasn't the monologue where they go up in front of the, you know, the, the big audience and they have to project and, you know, add all the theatrics. But it yeah. was just the practice. Um, and that that moment, I think, helped that student to, like, you know, be more vocal in their life, speak more. Uh, I think even start to, like, you know, advocate for themselves. And, and you, you see those small moments, you know, as you were saying, like, you know, you just take a step up the ladder and one more and one more and one more. And then you're like, you're at the top. Before you know, you know it. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, in the theater world, it's like you get through one sentence and then just say the next one yeah. and then the next one. And then and before you know it, you're done. Yeah. Right. And you're receiving all the kudos and support <laughs> because you made it to the end. And none of that would have ever happened if you didn't just try it. And yep. so a lot of, you know, what we do in theater is like just getting people to try things. Just start, yep. take a step, yep. say the, say the, say the first word. I used to love that Renaissance when I, when we got to do these together, the, uh, the student led parent conferences. Oh yeah. Those are the best because this, and I think we had a freshman crew the first year, ninth mm -hmm. grade. And we show up to this student teacher conference where normally it's or parent teacher conference where the, the yeah. teacher and the adults talking and the kids just sitting there arms crossed. Like, when is this going to be over? <laughs> and what, what, what the school had set up was the teacher really didn't say much <laughs> student <laughs> talk right. about what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing, where you're struggling. And to see some of their faces in the first two minutes, just stare at us and be like, when are you guys going to take over? And us, say, yeah, exactly. Not shake our head. Nope. <laughs> and, and that's a part of that, like that skill you build in, you know, that's, that's an art form I'll say. Yep. Right. And so you're preparing students to speak and advocate on their own behalf. Yep. And I, I'll say that's something that you do have to teach. Otherwise they're expecting for someone to always speak for them. And so a lot of what, was coming through theater and the arts and even, you know, physical education is giving them like the strength um, and, and ability to really like make those steps they need to, 
you know, become good leaders or good advocates for themselves. Yep. You know, um, it, it, I, I, I'm thinking back on those moments, it's like we were preparing, you know, future leaders, truly. Yeah, the job in, interview. In, two, in like, two courses that may not have, no one would ever consider to be, you know, it's not math, it's not a science, it's not an English. It's not essential. But, yeah. Right. But the impact that they have, you know, help supports those core courses, as well as their trajectory for life. Yep. Right. That's right. Understanding how to use your voice, when to use it, when to yell or not yell, uh, controlling your emotions, you know, being able to take risk. Learn to reflect. Learning to reflect yep. constantly, yep. Um, knowing that you can push yourself another yard or another foot you know, or, or lean on support of someone else, you know, for help for you to like reach your goal is all oh, that's very powerful and impactful times, you know, there at, at Renaissance and, you know, just the work that that was done between, you know, uh, two, as you said, non-essential classes. Right? <laughs> I wouldn't, um, ha I wouldn't ask for a, I couldn't ask for a better partner in, in, in oh, some no. of those adventures, man, without a doubt. Oh, no. <laughs> Hey, ladies and gents, this is James Lightfoot, a true gentleman and scholar, great buddy up from uh, Springfield, or he's up in Springfield, Mass, by way of Detroit. Yes, We're is. on the home stretch here of James Lightfoot Leads with Empower. We have some quick hitters here, James. Rapid fire right. on your go. toes. We're going to stay in the performing arts theme right now. If you had to cast yourself as a star in a movie that has, has already been out, what is it? And why, who, what is it? What role are you taking? The movie? Yeah. yeah. What's the movie and what role, are, what role are you casting yourself as? Wow. Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Why? <laughs> I, I, I love his story. Peter Parker has a great story, right? Uh, with great, uh, what is it? What's the line? With great uh, power come great responsibility. That's right. Or something of that nature. Yeah, that's. He always has to figure out a way to make it happen. There you go. If you had to cast me in a movie that's already happened, what movie and what character and why? Hmm. <laughs> um, man, that's a tough one, Dan. <laughs> I, you know, I watch I watch way too many movies. Let me think of one real quick. Um, you know, I will put you in Batman. As Batman. As Batman. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> all right, I'll take it. Sign me up. <laughs> and 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 the good Batman's not all the you know really really dark ones, right? So we got to not Ben. As long as it's not Ben Affleck Batman. No, I'm good. we'll put you in. We'll put you in the first Batman. All right, Keaton. That set. I'm, I'm good. That set the tone. All right. <laughs> Child childhood inspiration and why? Um. Childhood inspiration. I would say my father, you know, he, he played a very key role in, you know, my upbringing. I always seen him working, you know, oftentimes I didn't know what he did for work. <laughs> <laughs> he'd, he'd leave home in like regular clothes. He'd come back in a uniform and I was like, all right, I don't know what he does because he's always in something different. Maybe he's Batman. Um, he, he, my dad is Batman. No. <laughs> um, but later learning, like, you know, he, 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 he always worked. He always was, you know, 
making a way for his family. Um, and, you know, sooner my younger brothers came along. So um, he inspired me. And that's, you know, I, I think to this date, I work, you know, incredibly hard or always trying to um, do something to make, you know, make the world better. Yeah. You know, so he's a police officer. He retired uh, after 26 years from the wow. Detroit Police Department. So uh, he put in some some time there, you know, trying to make the world a better place. Yeah. Well, you're you're doing yeah. that for sure. Um, live, you're living. Yeah, you're living up to yeah. those. Uh, you're filling those <laughs> shoes. I'm um, trying my best. Someone who inspires you now as an adult, and why? Besides Dan Jaska. Oh, stop it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'll take this to. The, the and, and this is not like a, a, a candid um, response, but like the young people that I work with, mm -hmm. you know, a, a lot of them teach me actually more than I probably could ever teach them, um, you know. And so I credit all of them. If I could name all, you know, two, three hundred of them, uh, we don't have that much time, <laughs> but all of them inspire me to like keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, they they're my you know, reason that I have to keep pushing on, you know, every, every moment, every second I get with them, you know, I'm like, all right, this is why I'm doing this. I have to keep, keep going. None of them have reached the point where I'm like, ah, oh, my job is job finished. Done, yeah. Right? No. <laughs> they keep the fuel in the tank. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, Teddy France was our first, uh, uh, guests for season two and mm -hmm. he talked about as a leader and, and I worked with him I, as a student as his graduate assistant during summer programming and we've, we've worked together on some events after you know in in my professional career and he always says when I when I see someone like you I don't want to see Ted France but I want to see a thumbprint of Ted France like so as a leader they, you don't you don't want them to be james but you want to see a little thumbprint of james in mm -hmm. you know every youth that you work with what's the what's the thumbprint you hope to leave on those young adults that you're always in front of always working hard for always advocating for like when all is said and done and, and your job is done right when when that when that mm -hmm. moment happens right what, what do you want to say? Like, Hey, I left this little thumbprint and I, and I, and I can sleep well, at, you know, tonight knowing that th there was a positive impact there. So that thumbprint, I, and I, I see it uh, at times from young people. And so I can sit back in a corner and like shake my head, like, yeah, <laughs> it's working. Right. They never settle for, they never settle. And then they never settle for someone's answer to be the final answer of it, right? So they're gonna always keep trying to get more information. You know, there's no easy answer to their, you know, to their questions, yeah. right? So like, how we're gonna solve this is if someone comes up with a, a quick resolution for it and they're like, yeah, but so how is that gonna happen? Yeah. Right, so there's always this kind of prodding to get uh, more information and I, I often do that with them. So I'll know, I, I, I've sat back in situations where I've watched them ask questions of one another or uh, someone that they've been um, 
you know, engage with. So I can sit back and, uh, you know, know that they're trying to help other people to think critically as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what they do. They do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where I'm they, like, all right, wait, this is backfiring. <laughs> they practice on you. <laughs> right. You're like the, the punching bag for that skill. <laughs> all right. I'm like, wait, no, you're not supposed to keep asking me questions. I'm passing on the knowledge. <laughs> Try it on somebody else. <laughs> but where did you get that, James? And what year was that fact, you know, created? Or, you know, when did they find that? I'm like, oh, gosh. But no, it's, it's, it's a great, uh, you, it, it feels good to know that you, you've left a, a little imprint um, of yourself. Cause I wouldn't want them to be just like me. Um, yeah. I, I want them to be, you know, people always say they want them to be better. Yeah. Um, but also I want them to be creating, you know, opportunities for others that come after them. Yeah. And so my, my role is never to like, you know, create a complete moment for them right yep. so it's like we're opening this door so that we can start to open others yep love right it. and so then those that are you know coming behind can now you know take over where you leave off so last last question just a, a message of well wishes inspiration uh, a, a kind note from james lightfoot to all the young adults who are have either started school or are about to start school during what is still very turbulent times. What, what, what would you hope to send to them as they get, get going on this? It's going to, you know, the adventure of the 2020, 2021 school year. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I used to look at this. Um, I, I've watched commercials. I always look for the messages in commercials. And so I'll take um, this one that stuck with me. Um, I can't even remember the company, but I know their message was like, nothing is impossible, right? Or impossible is nothing. Uh, one of those two. And knowing that whatever it is that they're working for or they're, they're about to experience, um, you know, whatever goal that they've set for themselves, it is not impossible mm -hmm. for them to, you know, um, to reach. And I've often, sh I've also shared with my students that, don't think of their careers or their goals as they did uh, pre-COVID-19 mm -hmm. and don't think of them in the present, right? I think many people learned that their essential careers became non-essential. So then how do we change those to be like, you know, ongoing, essential, uh, needed activities or opportunities? So whatever you're thinking, young people, um, I know that it can happen. It is possible, right? Um, there's no such thing as impossible, right? It's only impossible if you have not yet to do it, yep. right? So, you know, that business that you're thinking of, that uh, product or idea that you're thinking about creating, that piece of art, uh, that poem, that new sneaker, like create it, right? Mm -hmm. There's going to be a place for it. Um, if it's not today, there's some time in the future. Love it. What a great yes, message. Yes. And James, you've done your duty on the Lead With Empower podcast. And I'll say that you knocked it out of the park, man. It's in all seriousness, it's always a pleasure to, whether it's a couple hour conversation on Zoom or being in person, uh, always a pleasure to share time and space. And uh, 
thank you so much for doing this. I know you have a busy schedule with uh, a full house (laughs) and and then everything else. Um, But ladies and gentlemen, that is Mr. James Lightfoot III doing just some absolutely tremendous work inspiring uplifting empowering teens up in springfield massachusetts and his reach goes far beyond that as well thank you again james it's a pleasure having you on thank you to everybody for tuning in and listening to our conversation i hope you enjoyed it and uh we'll catch you on the next one be safe take care of yourself take care of somebody else and take care of the place that you call home we'll check you out later thank you great leadership may look and sound different however There are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.